Have you ever heard of the pastor? His name is Francis Chan. He is uh, kind of considered somewhat of a celebrity pastor, uh, if you will. He is well-known um, uh, by uh, the church, especially in the United States. He has a really interesting story. He kind of lived the life. He, he did church that uh, guys like me are like, oh, man, I love that. He, he started his own church in, I think it was 19... 94, Semi Valley, California. Started the church, it was very small, but started to grow, only had a few folks. Um, eventually, they grew to such a degree that they, had a, uh, they could purchase their own land and establish their own building. Then they continued to grow, and uh, Francis Chan began to write, and um, some of his books got published, and people started to invite him. He became a well-known speaker, and inviting, they started their own Bible school, and essentially they became a mega church. He was leading this church. He was leading the Bible school. Um, I, uh, he, I was a fan of his, watched him on YouTube, and uh, a number of his books are on my shelf. Really, really like Francis Chan. In 2010, something very interesting happened. There's no moral failure, praise God. Uh, nothing happened like that. He simply stood in front of his church he said, I feel like I'm being called out. This, uh, this ministry that God had worked in him and through him, that he and his wife and I think it was like 30 other folks started, he decided that he was going to step away from this church and this ministry altogether. And he, he ended up going uh, to a couple of third world countries and then landed in San Francisco. He's doing some church planting, still writing now. In fact, he, he came out with a most recent book, uh, a letter to the church, or letters to the church, actually. And um, I was given that uh, book by Lisa Donahue. She works at David C. Cook. In fact, she gave me the book even before it was out for public consumption. So I felt very, oh, I'm not supposed to share that. Just the day that it came out, she gave me this book. And it's been, I'm not finished with it, but it's a, it's a fascinating read because essentially he's telling the story and, and he's filling in a little bit of the why. Why would a guy like Francis Chan, who is, who is really leading a, a church and this ministry and this beautiful why, why would he step away? And he doesn't use this phrase, but if I can... Um, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, but the way that he writes, I really connect with because he's talking about the church, especially the church in the United States and in the West and in Europe. And he has what I would call this holy discontent for the church. The, the sense of that he's longing for, for something more, that, that really, which is, is fascinating because he was leading the church as, as many of us would say, man, that's the way to lead the church. That's what we want in the church. He's leading it that way, and yet he gets to this climactic moment, and he's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm dissatisfied. Something's off. Something's missing. I'm longing for something more. 
and God led him to step away. And in this letters to the church, he's, he's talking about these different areas that he just, he doesn't necessarily have answers for, but he's saying, we're missing it. We're missing it, church. He's not giving up on the church, which some leaders have done in the past. He's, he's starting another church, but, but he's, he's saying that, that there's got to be more. There's got to, that I have a longing for more, and, and we're not hitting it, and he's inviting through the letters to the church to be a part of that. When, when Lisa gave me the book on, on the day it was released to the public... She said, um, she said, you know, he's saying a lot of the things that, that you're saying, Eric. He, he's talking about, in, in ways, some of those things that I've heard you say in the past. And, and part of the ways that I've been talking about that is as we've been thinking about vision and direction and what is God calling this little church to? That, that from this holy discontent, not, not to be different for the sake of being different, not to be the flavor of the month and the cool, but, but really to say, Lord, what, what's the church that you want to establish here? Springs Community Church. And, and over the next, the course of three weeks, I, I want to, I want to talk to you about three areas of holy discontent. Of a, uh, and, I, and I'm not throwing stones at any uh, particular church. I'm saying I have a holy discontent with our church as well as the, the church, the grand church. And, and, and there's a longing that I, I do believe is from the Spirit of God where he's working in this way and, and, and he's not just wanting us to, to complain and say, yeah, I don't like this, but there's this invitation here to say, I, I want to call at least this community of faith into something more. And that's what this series is about, is this invitation to something more. Now, I want to hit one aspect of holy discontent. We'll unpack the others as we go in the next couple of weeks, but I was thinking of this phrase. Have you heard, maybe you've used this phrase before, uh, people never change. Have you sometimes? It really, when you're frustrated, right? And someone does the same thing over again that is so disappointing, and you're like, people never change. They'll never change. Or you try and impart some wisdom to people who are hoping that others will change. You say, listen, people, ne people are who they are. They will never change. Usually it's in a very negative contest, right? He's an arrogant jerk. He's never going to change, right? You heard that? I, you can call me an idealist, but I can't accept that phrase. 
I don't think that is a phrase from scripture. I think that's a phrase from our culture that we accept so easily. And the reason I can't accept it is because inherent in the gospel itself is this idea that through the love and power of God, we are called to be transformed and ever transforming. That God is a God of change. God promises not to leave us where we're at. He promises that that those who seek after him and long after him, that we will experience transformation. That is central to the gospel is this idea of a transformed life. I hold this as a a truth, as a conviction, as a a belief, and I'm never going to let it go. And yet, if I'm honest, if I look around in this church and other churches, if I'm really honest, if I look at my own heart and soul, I am so often disappointed with the lack of change and transformation. Would you agree? And if I'm really honest, sometimes I want to say, maybe it's true, people never change. And, and sometimes I feel like I lack faith because I don't see more transformation. And, and I would say the area of holy discontent is that the church seems to be failing to provide avenues and ways and ministries. Even, I would say, vision of this ongoing transformation process. I I think the church has done a a decent job of saying, yes, when we're not Christians, we are dead in our transgressions, and when we ask Christ into our life, then we become a new creation. Yes, amen, that is true. And yet I believe the church has failed to cast the vision that even though when you come to Christ you are a new creation, God is far from done with you. And he's inviting us to be transformed in ever increasing measure. Would you agree with me that that is meant to be a core purpose and mission of the church is this significant and profound and in-depth spiritual formation and transformation? Do you agree with me on that? That, That's part of the, that's meant to be a, a mission of the church and yet, It feels like so often we're failing and we're missing this idea of transformation. I believe that the church is missing the mark in part because we have a very low view or or you could say an underdeveloped view of what spiritual transformation and formation looks like. We, we have a, a, a limited view or understanding and perspective, and, and we're not hearing more of that. We're, we're, we're missing that. The, the Apostle Paul, in fact, he talks often about this in different ways 
with different words and phrases and concepts. And um, it's surprising how often the Apostle Paul talks about that and yet how um, the lack of the language in our churches that's there. And I want you to think this morning about two phrases, two phrases that have a depth to them. One comes from Ephesians 4.13, where the Apostle Paul, he says this. He's talking about all the, the resources of the church, all that God has provided for the church, and then he moves into the purpose of the church. And I think we have that on the screens for you, Ephesians 4.13. It says, he says, all these resources of the church for the purpose until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Attaining, interesting phrase, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is Paul talking about? Why did it... Why does he say that the, the whole measure and, and fullness of Christ? What's he mean by that? Hold on to that, that phrase, fullness of Christ. All right, look at your neighbor and say fullness of Christ. Fullness of Christ. All right, hold on to that. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to another of Paul's letters to, um, to Galatians, Galatians chapter four. And Paul, as you turn to Galatians four, we're gonna read verses 19 and 20. Paul is, he has, you could say, a holy discontent with the Christians living in Galatians, right? The whole book, He's saying things like, who bewitched you, Galatians? How could you start with the Spirit and now trying to live by the law? He's, in some ways, he's chastising them because he feels like they're regressing in their faith. They're, they're believing things that aren't true. They're, they're going from the true gospel. So throughout the letter, you hear this frustration with Paul. And then Paul says this in Galatians 4, look at verse 19, says this, my dear children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Yes, Paul was a man, but he's, he's saying that he's longing, he's hurting, he's in agony because they're missing the mark. And what is the mark? What's the purpose? What is he what, if, what is he in pain on behalf of the Galatian church? And I would say, you could say to all churches, until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. How I wish, he goes on, I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. This is the apostle. I, I'm perplexed by what's going on. You're missing it. 
I wonder if Paul would be saying the same thing to our church and many of the churches in the United States. He's saying, don't you know that a key mark of the church is that we are seeing Christ formed in you. It's the second phrase. You have the, the fullness of Christ And then Paul also talks about Christ being formed in you. These phrases, I think, point us beyond to simple growth, beyond simple maturity, beyond simple little stuff. Oh, I learned something new today from Pastor Eric. Would you agree that these phrases, the fullness of Christ and Christ formed in you is pointing us to to something deeper, something a little bit more mysterious, something a a, a little bit like when we use the words of transformation and formation. That's a, a little bit of what Paul is saying this is the purpose and the mark and the invitation of the church. That's what's supposed to be happening as you gather together as a community of faith. And at least as the, for the Galatian church and perhaps our church and other churches, it's perplexing. In fact, especially with the Galatians He's not seeing people being formed in Christ, but regressing in Christ. And that's not okay. Fullness of Christ and Christ formed in you. Now, let's delve a little bit deeper in how we understand these two phrases. And the the thing that has really helped me in the last couple years to to understand and and try and delve into this mystery is three simple words, right? We we want to take a complex thing and and use simple language to to get in there. And as I've thought about spiritual formation and transformation, my own as well as yours, these three words have been really important to me. They're super simple, and they are simply no be and do. Know, be, and do. Look at your neighbor and say, know, be, and do. These three, that transformation, abiding formation, involves knowing Christ, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, involves being as Christ, being as Christ, and doing with and for Christ. It's knowing Christ, the person, the work, the ministry of Christ, being as Christ, sharing in his heart, his perspective, and doing with and for Christ, no be do. I want to suggest that oftentimes we are not experiencing the transformation because our understanding is lacking in at least one of those three areas. 
that oftentimes I've noticed that as Christians, we can be particularly good at one, but lacking in the other two, right? Perhaps you want to think over in your mind and personalize that. Is there one that I'm particularly in the knowing of Christ, in the being as Christ, in the doing with and for Christ? Is there one that I'm particularly good at and yet I'm really missing one of these? Let me just unpack them just a little bit. We get to know Christ and learn his life, a, a crucial aspect of spiritual formation. Many of us um, in the United States, this is a strength. I would say for me, this is a strength of mine, right? So I've been to seminary, I feel like I'm you know, slowly knowing more and more, and I'm adding knowledge. Scripture certainly values and encourages knowledge and understanding and becoming lifelong uh, learners. Paul, for example, talks about knowledge all the time, and yet he talks about it in a particular way that we often miss. At one point, he even says, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he says, knowledge puffs up and love builds up, right? And he's not saying that in a good way. He doesn't want you to be puffed up with knowledge. He's saying, no, 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 no love. And, and part of what he's getting at is he's talking about a biblical view of knowledge or knowing is rooted in experience of something. Oftentimes we devalue experience and elevate education and understanding when in fact a biblical perspective is the marrying of the two to really know someone or something. You have to experience that person or that trade or that activity. And oftentimes I think we're guilty in the church in the West is simply taking on the educational system that we, that we value a knowing, but we miss the experience of that particular thing. Jesus said this, now, this is eternal life, John 17, 3. Can we go to that, John 17? I think two screens, or perhaps three. Or, well, maybe we won't go to that. So, yeah, we'll go to it later. So, John 17, 3. Irene, can we go to the next couple of screens? Is she, are we, no, we're, bathroom break, that's okay. Just listen to it, John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He's saying true life, eternal life, kingdom life, is that we get to not just grow in our understanding of God, but we get to know experientially, relationally, that is the foundation of knowledge of God in relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ through the Spirit. If you want to be transformed, it has to be marrying 
a, a knowledge, an understanding, a truth with walking in relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say this, Colossians 3.10. He uses another phrase. Put on your new nature. If you are a Christian, you have a new nature. But again, it doesn't end there. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Again, crucial to spiritual formation is not just knowledge, but the marrying of knowledge and relationship. I'll never forget the lessons I learned from an individual named Jonathan when I was in college and I was, I was a sophomore or junior and I was leading a Bible study and there was a little bit older of a young adult. He had come back to school and his name was Jonathan and he had, I believe, a photographic memory. And so I was both excited and a little bit intimidated to have him in my Bible study. Have you ever been there as a, as a leader, right? So he was like a, a walking cross-reference of Scripture. Still, I don't think I've met anyone who had as much Scripture memorized as Jonathan. It was amazing. We'd be wrestling with a, a particular issue in a book, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, Paul talks about that also in Galatians, and he could, like, quote it, and then we'd have to, like, turn and go, wow, that was incredible. So, so Jonathan, he just was so knowledgeable. He knew so much. And yet, as the semester progressed, as we got to walk with Jonathan, and he was part of our Christian community of faith, we began to realize that Jonathan had some profound areas of immaturity. He had some profound areas of insecurity. And, and I was astounded by, by the difference of Jonathan's understanding and knowledge of Scripture and the faith. And yet this, this almost difficult insecurity and immaturity that we walked with him in. And, and I soon realized that, that, boy, we need Jonathan for his knowledge and understanding. He, he adds great depth to our Bible study, and yet he needs us. He needs community. He needs to learn to walk in the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He needs to, to walk in the acceptance of God and then allow that to bubble over in a relationship there. Jonathan needs a lot of transformation. Friends, we have, we have Bible studies and small groups. and We listen to our podcasts and our, and our favorite preachers and teachers. That's not enough. It's good. It's valuable. It's not enough. There has to be more. I think for many of us, our growth is stunted 
because we're missing this aspect of truly knowing God. That, that sometimes we can be up to here in knowledge of God. And yet the transformation that we're experiencing is down here. And that's not okay. That's knowing, key aspect of true transformation and spiritual formation. The second one, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on because I think this second one, many, many of us miss. We don't even have a, a language or a category for, and that is the idea of being as Christ. Not just knowing but being as Christ and transformed within. To understand this idea of becoming like Christ and Christ being formed in you, you have to begin, I, I would say, with this idea of the image of Christ. You've heard this idea of image tossed around back and forth. The idea of image comes from the Genesis story, Genesis 1.27 says this, God, so God created man in his own image. In his image, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, this was at the apex of creation, and, and God says that about no other aspect of creation. He doesn't say it about fish or birds or animals or the sky or the sea. He says that you and I alone are created in God's image. What does that mean? We have a, a picture, a photograph of uh, when I was a freshman in college and I was rushing a fraternity and I have my jacket on and it's a, a portrait of me there. Calvin was in the house the other day and he sarcastically says, oh, that's a great picture of Luke. Luke is my, my son, my 18-year-old son, and, or 19-year-old son. And, uh, and, and he looks a lot like me, or at least a lot like not quite as good-looking as I was at that time. Would you agree, Calvin? Yeah, just, yeah. Okay, so, so but in one sense, Luke has been created in my image, right? It's, it's right there. But that's not the sense that scripture is talking about in Genesis. Because God is not physical. We're told God is spirit. You understand? And so there's no way that we're created, in the, in the sense that Luke was created in my image, he, he looks a lot like me. The likeness is there. That's not the sense that scripture is talking about. We are creating the image. What, what the sense that scripture is talking about is if you could take a picture of our soul. If you could take a picture of our character, if you could take a picture of who God is, if you could, if you could see God's goodness and God's grace and God's love and God's kindness. That's the image of who God is. And incredibly, Amazingly, God says, let's create 
man and woman in our image of goodness and grace and mercy. I've been talking with a number of people of identity and that's truly who you are. Not your sin, not your mistakes, not your level of intelligence or creativity, your production at work, not your addictions, nothing is truly who you are but the image in which you were created in. Now, heaven forbid that this would ever happen. Lord, I pray that this would never happen. But just for illustration purposes, imagine for a moment that Luke was in a dramatic car accident and it marred his face, scarred his face. Lord, I pray that that would never happen. In one sense, he would lose, it would become a broken, it would become a marred image of my likeness. When Adam and Eve chose rebellion and fell, what happened to the image of God that you and I were created in, it became marred and broken. You understand? Are you with me? You need to be with me on this part. Yes? Yes? So we were created in the beautiful image of God, and yet because of the fall, because of rebellion, because of when we sin as well, we mar the image of God that we were created in. That the fall was a spiritual car accident that marred our image. And that is how we are living today in that sense, that that horrible car accident that was there. The image of God, his goodness and grace that we're meant to reflect is now marred. Enter Jesus Christ. Enter Jesus Christ. And he lives a life of God's perfect grace, of God's perfect goodness, of God's perfect truth, of God's perfect mercy. He lives it that way. He reflects the image of God as you and I were created to do. And then Paul says this in Romans 8.29. Go to that next screen. Next verse. So good, we've got to get there. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the What, I didn't hear any of you. That, what was that? What, what does that mean, image of his son? 
You, you see what we were created for, this, this image to reflect God's goodness and mercy and grace, and yet because of the fall in our sin and when we stumble, we marred the image. Jesus enters in and he lives it perfectly, and now Paul says, this is what you were created for, to live the life that you were created to live the one that you're missing. And this is what you were meant to do is reflect God's goodness and grace. Jesus did it perfectly. Now I'm praying, I'm in labor until Christ is formed in you. Because that's truly who you are. And friends, there's something in this that, that we know just as Luke, if he were to experience that accident, hopefully would be able to go through some reconstructive surgery. The church is meant to be a place of that reconstructive surgery where our broken souls are being healed and renewed and restored and transformed and Christ is being formed in you and teaching you really real life, true life, kingdom life, as Jesus says, eternal life. Holy discontent. Why in the churches that I grew up in I didn't get this? Why in the churches that I grew up in, I just was told, try not to sin. And if you do, ask for forgiveness right away. Why do I not see the depth of this transformation happening in our church and other churches? Why do we celebrate the Christian leaders who have the big ministries and the fame and success, but we're not celebrating the, the transformation and the formation of Christ in leaders and the people around us. Why do we only have aspirations of knowing and doing and don't even have a category of the being. That's not okay. It's not okay. The last couple years, I've been trying to grow in the idea of being. I've been wanting to grow in God's peace to be a non-anxious presence, especially in environments that are anxiety-filled. Been wanting to grow in God's wisdom, to learn and dis discern his voice, both for my own life and for others' life. Been wanting to grow as a man after God's own heart to, to be able to see and understand and feel like Jesus 
does. I've had to look beyond the, the normal evangelical church. I've had to look beyond the, 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 the famous pastors and the, the top 10 books of today and the, and the podcasts. I've had to look at folks like Thomas Merton and Dallas Willard and Henry Nowen and Richard Foster. I, I get a lot of those guys are dead. And I long for that, not just for myself. I long for it for you. I, I long that we would be a, a church that's just not helping people grow a little bit here and there, but that, that we would see a church that's assisting in the formation of Christ in you, that we're recapturing what was lost in the image of God in which we're made. I'm not saying it's easy, but we're going to have a category. We're going to value. We're going to press in, and it's an invitation to do that. Let me just hit the, the final piece of doing. I think many of us understand this. We get to do with and for Christ. James said, faith without works is dead, right? Doing is, is a part of our transformation process. But I would argue that we can do even in the name of Christ. But if it's disconnected from the knowing and especially the being, it will not transform us in the ways that we're longing for. That you need all three at work in that way. Listen to the Apostle Peter. He says this in 2 Peter 1, 5 through eight. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. It's a character issue. And goodness, knowledge to know. And to knowledge, self-control. Self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. That's getting into next week a little bit. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. There's an effectiveness, a production, yes, that matters and values. He's at work in his kingdom. He's calling us to be doers in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can do without being transformed, right? But we add those aspects to us. Listen to Paul's connection here. Colossians 1, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Go to uh, Colossians 1, 9. Sorry, I'm so hard to keep up with this morning. All the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, Growing in the knowledge of God. Do you see all three at work, at play there? 
Do you see that no be do that that uh, dynamic interchange between you've got knowledge there, you've got the being there in that, you've got the doing in that aspect. We did think of uh, one. I think we have time. One short scene of a movie from, uh, it's a great movie based on a true story, The Blind Side with, with Michael Orr. And many of you know the story where um, Sandra Bullock's character, uh, the family, they adopted Michael Orr into their home. He became part of their family. And they are um, seeing this, uh, seeing him blossom. He's going to high school there. She has lunch with some of her friends. And listen closely to the dialogue that happens between Sandra Bullock, who's adopted Michael Orr. He is a African-American high school student in her home. And listen to the dialogue. <laughs> right, like Jessica Lange and King God? Hey, does Michael get the family discount at Taco Bell? Because if he does, Sean's going to lose a few stores. <laughs> He's a good kid. Well, I say you make it official and just adopt him. <laughs> uh, he's gonna be 18 in a few months. Doesn't really make much sense to legally adopt. Leanne, is this some sort of white guilt thing? What will your daddy say? Um, before or after he turns over in his grave. Daddy's been gone five years, Elaine. Make matters worse, you were at the funeral. Remember, you wore Chanel in that awful black hat. Look, here's the deal. I don't need y'all to approve my choices, all right? But I do ask that you respect them. You have no idea what this boy's been through, and if this is gonna become some running diatribe, I can find an overpriced salad a lot closer to home. Leanne, I'm so sorry. We didn't intend to... No, we didn't, really. I think what you're doing is so great. To open up your home to him and... Honey, you're changing that boy's life. No. He's changing mine. And that's awesome for you, but what about Collins? What about Collins? Aren't you worried? I mean, even just a little? He's a boy, a large black boy, sleeping under the same roof. Shame on you. See what was happening there? Again, this is a true story. She was doing the right thing. She was extending love, hospitality, even adoption. And as she was doing that, as she was doing the right thing, she was being transformed. Did you hear that phrase? No, 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 I'm being changed. And she was being transformed to such a degree that now she was becoming a challenge to the prejudice and the racism of her friends. She was experiencing through the dew this transformation 
By the way, she was doing it in the name of Christ. She was experiencing this transformation because she was doing, and God was taking that and saying, I'm going to challenge some of these areas that are deep there. Friends, this is an invitation. I am unsatisfied with the unredeemed parts of my life. I am unsatisfied that I am not being transformed more in the character of Christ as he's called me to. And I am unsatisfied with the unredeemed parts of your life. I don't want that to be judgmental. I'm sharing in that. And I'm saying we are going to be a different church that really steps into not just simply growth, but the knowledge of Christ to be as Christ and to do his kingdom work with him and for him. When he said, Go and make disciples. He didn't say, teach them some of the stuff I've shown you. What did he say? All things. Everything. Every part of who I am. Share that. And you'll change the world. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible thing that we, we would be able to have your son formed in us, that we would be able to walk in ever-increasing measure in the fullness of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us here in the church would, would feel the lack in our bones, would, would feel the longing in our souls, that we would be unsatisfied with simple, small steps of growth, but would long for, for true transformation, spirit-directed, spirit-empowered transformation and formation to the depths of our soul, that we would be people who are changing and being transformed, that people would see more of your Son in us, because we're walking in your transformation. Lord, we pray that you would incline your ear to us and hear our prayers, hear our longing, 
hear our desire. In your precious and powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen.